Alright, are y'all ready to open up in prayer and start digging into Scripture? Amen. Amen. Alright, let's do it. Lord, thank you again uh, that you've allowed us to gather in this place today. Uh, thank you. Uh, I want to thank you, Lord, for my church family. Um, as we have been away uh, for a week in a, in a foreign land, it is nice to come home to this place. And, and I want to thank you, Lord, uh, for... Uh, the gift and opportunity to preach your word to them, um, and I want to thank you for them because I, I know without a doubt that as we go out, uh, their prayers are being lifted up uh, day in and day out for us, for our safety, for uh, uh, your truth to be spread uh, to people who may not have had it presented to them, and to children who... Uh, without you are hopeless, and to a country that without you is hopeless. Um, Lord, as we open up in your word tonight in chapter 9, just kind of picking up where we left off before, I would like to ask that your Holy Spirit would just be moving in our hearts. Lord, um, give me the words to say. Uh, Lord, I, I pray that as we dig through chapters 9, 10, and 11 of the book of Romans, that you would kind of unify us in our thoughts and our minds and our hearts as, as far as why is it that such a difficult truth is now being presented to us in this book and that from this truth that you are sovereign and you cannot fail. Your word cannot fail. That it would quicken within us a knowledge of the God in whom we have been called and granted such an amazing opportunity to serve, and that it would build within us a heart, mind, and attitude of fearless service for you. That we know that anything that you call us into will not fail to bring you glory. Lord, that our hearts and our desires and our mind would be for the lost and it would be for your glory and your name and the lifting up and the exalting of the Savior, Christ Jesus, our Lord and King, among all peoples in all places. Lord, uh, that your Holy Spirit would move in us now as we continue in your Holy Word. It's for your name's sake. It's for Christ's name. Amen. Alright, so we're going to be in chapter 9 again. We're going to just do a quick review. It's been a couple of weeks um, since we've gotten together on the Scripture. So just so that we kind of get where we're at. We've been moving slowly through chapter 9 on purpose because there's a lot of difficult stuff that we've been covering along the way. Um, what I want to say is that I believe, and I'm going to try to do my best to present this uh, tonight, I believe we have waded deeply into this, and now what we're going to find is that what has been difficult Scripture to wrestle with will begin opening up so that we can clearly see the reason for which Paul has been presenting what he's been presenting, right? A lot of times when we come into chapters 9, 10, and 11 of the book of Romans, um, because the difficulty with which the chap chapter 9 starts, the difficult thoughts, the difficult ideas, the things that you just ha you can't avoid as you open this chapter, um, a lot of times I think people come in 
come to this text thinking that this text does a work of maybe narrowing down the gospel and the hope of the gospel. Um, but what I want us to see is that in fact, if we were looking at this through Paul's eyes, Paul does not see that as the case for what's going on here. But he sees what's been going on among his people, the Jews, as something bigger than them, right? Not a narrowing down of the hope that the Savior has come for, but in fact, what God's doing in His time, in His day, what He's done in the hardening of the people of Israel is in fact bring the gospel to all people, right? So we're going to see this truth start to, start to kind of raise its head tonight as we get into the end of the text that we're going to be looking at. Um, so we may or we may not step back into uh, Hosea and look at the text for which Paul references. I don't know. We're just going to kind of play it by ear. Um, but for the sake of refreshing our minds to see where we're at, I want us to just kind of remember uh, some of the texts that we've come up uh, to to begin with. And I want us to start chapter 9 just looking at, at the opening verses of this. Kind of get our minds in the frame of thought for which Paul is here speaking. So chapter 9, verse 1. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed, cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers and my kinsmen according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption and glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs from uh, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. So the one thing that I want us to take away from that passage of text, and, and I've kind of touched on it each time we've opened up the Scripture, is I want us to see that not only does Paul have a burden for his brothers, a burden for those who have rejected Christ, carry over for us is that Paul has a burden for the lost, so too should we have a burden for the lost. But this burden is not eased within his heart, even though he's going to tell us what he's going to tell us throughout chapters 9, 10, and 11, right? So the fact that there will be those who die and go to hell should never rest easy on us. Right? Should never rest easy on us. The second thing that I want us to take away from this is an understanding of who God is, the character of God, and that we should never question if a man could have greater burden for the lost than God Himself. Right? So nothing in chapters 9, 10, and 11 should cause us to question the character of God to think that Paul would have more burden for his brothers and sisters than God Himself. Are you with me? Are you with me? So now in chapter 9, as Paul is trying to support the Gospel here, he's trying to show us why what he tells us in chapter 8, that in all these things we're more than conquerors, chapter 8, 37, through Him who loved us, Right? For I am sure, verse 38 of chapter 8, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord to support this idea. And this is why I say that chapters 9, 10, and 11, if, if I, if, if God allows me and strengthens me in this study to 
present truly what these chapters are telling us, then at the end of this, instead of us being confused and debating, we should be enthused and fearless. Right? This is the purpose for which Paul is presenting all that he's doing here. So in chapter 9, verse 6, he, he, he's answering this question through the rest of this, this kind of dialogue here. But it is not as though the Word of God has failed. And the question that I have here, is it possible that God could fail in His promises? Alright? So what about Israel and the falling away? Right? Because that would be the first question to bring up. Well, how can I trust the promises that God's making to the church when it seems as though, when it seems as though He's left His people by the wayside? Because if God's promises are going to hold, would He not have brought the large majority of Israel over? That's the question that we're wrestling with That in real time, right? In real time, as Paul is writing this, this is the question that's facing the church. What, a, what about God's people? It's the promises of God now changing and shifting and what Paul wants to present in this is in no way, in no way could God, God fail. In no way could His truth fail. In no way could His promises fail. So he starts outlining. He starts going back to Abraham and he starts talking about Isaac and he starts, so in uh, chapter 9, we'll look at uh, midway through seven, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it's not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise. So he is dealing here with the promises of God. For this is what the promises said, verse nine. About this time next year, I will return, and Sarah uh, will have shall have a son. Continues on. Um, Later he says, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of Him who calls. The older will serve the younger. Jacob, I loved. Esau, I hated. All of these texts are texts that we've covered up to this point. God says throughout this, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. All the way along the way, questions being raised for us. For this very purpose, I have raised you up, speaking to Pharaoh. For this very purpose, I want us to get that God has purpose in all that He's doing, in all that God has ever done. God has a purpose in it. And God is good. Amen? God is very good. God's character is good. So His purposes are what? Good. Well, let's never waver in understanding that. So when He says to Pharaoh, For this purpose I've raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth, so then He has mercy. This is speaking of God. He has mercy on whomever He wills, and He hardens whomever He wills. We spoke about the hardening and kind of how how Scripture, when we go back and look at at the account of Pharaoh, how that Scripture seems that, that hardening is, is not just a God thing, not just a man thing, but as God withdraws, as God, Romans chapter 1 would say, God abandons what happens to the heart of man. Man's heart is hardened in what? His sinfulness. We are. We've covered this in depth throughout this study that we are not born good. We are born what? Sinners. Our nature is to do what? To sin. So if God does not show mercy, what do we do by our very nature? We sin and harden ourselves against the only good God who has sent His Son to redeem 
people to himself for his son's name, for the fame of his son across the world, right? So then we get into other questions. So then God has mercy on whomever he wills. He hardens whomever he wills. You will then say to me, verse 19, why does he still find fault? So these things that we would ask ourselves... Paul's here is not avoiding them. He's bringing these things to the forefront and he's trying to address the state of our heart because what do we immediately do? We question, instead of questioning our own intentions and our own minds and our own motives, our own heart, what do we do? We question God. Right? We question the character of God. Us. We know who we are. And this is why I say, if you want this this chapter to make sense as a believer, you need to only reflect on who you are. Right? You need only reflect on what you know to be true about yourself. That apart from the grace of God, you yourself would be drowning in your sin. Drowning in your sin. Right? So let us not be a clay who questions the potter. Let us understand chapter 9 verse 21 the answer to this question, has the potter ride over the clay? And, and, and if we were talking about actual pottery, the answer would be what? Of course, of course, right? I mean, it's even silly to ask if we're actually talking about pottery, right? Because what is clay? Dirt, right? Where does a, where does a vase in a museum get its value? From the potter, right? From the sculptor. It's in a museum not because dirt formed itself into a pretty fashion, but because the potter makes this, right? Right. So this is the idea. And this passage of text says we're kind of inching closer to where we're going to be tonight. This should set us at a place where we start getting perspective of who we are, right? Who we are and who He is. Right? So let us not be clay who questions the character and motives of the potter. Right? The very fact that we have to steal from God to get our understanding of what good is should warn us away from questioning His goodness. Right? So with all of this, kind of the last part where we inched in to where we're going to be tonight, verse 23, in order to make known the riches of His glory for vessels of mercy, still with that idea of pottery, that idea of a potter and clay here, vessels of mercy. If you are a believer tonight, I want you to understand this, that you are a vessel of mercy. God owed you nothing. Right? And the analogy that I continue to draw back on, if you think you deserve mercy, ask the fallen angels where their mercy is. Because not one fallen angel will find mercy. There is no Savior sent for the fallen angels. And God would have still been kind and merciful had He not sent a Savior for us. So God has shown His mercy to us. And we are not deserving of it. We are are vessels of mercy. That He has made Himself known to, which He has prepared beforehand for glory. 
And I want us, if you are a believer here tonight, I want you to just think on that. Right? I want you to think on the fact that He prepared you beforehand for glory. And He has done this in His infinite wisdom in the work of Christ on the cross. Such an amazing, amazing thing. And I want us to reflect back also, if you're here tonight and you are lost, I would like you to look back just above this verse 22. What if God desiring to show His wrath and to make known His power? Is all that God does good? If God shows wrath, is it good? What if God desiring to show His wrath and to make his power, or make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. I want you to note, verse 23, he has prepared beforehand vessels of mercy. I want you to note in 22, you prepare yourself for destruction by the sins that you commit each and every day. And it is his grace alone that He has sent preachers to preach the hope that is found in the gospel. Verse 24, Even us, and now we get back to where we're going to pick up some new scripture, even us whom He has called not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. I want us to understand, one, had the Jews accepted their king, would they have nailed him to a cross? Would they have? No. If Christ does not die on a cross, what then of our sins? We're still in them. Without the perfect sacrifice, we are still in our sins. So how crazy is it then? That the hardening of Israel resulted in the hope of the nations. The only hope of the nations. And I want us to understand that what God is doing here in this is making way for the only hope. Right? That in the hardening of Israel, you, I, I, I dare say that probably none of you are Jews here tonight. In the hardening of Israel, the gospel was sent out to you. Though God showed wrath, and you might even say hatred to some, He showed great mercy to each and every one of you who are here tonight. Because the gospel has gone out. God's purposes are being fulfilled. Even to this day, even us whom He is called not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. Verse 25, as indeed He says in Hosea, I want us to understand this, and I would I would encourage you to go back. Hosea is not a particularly easy book to read, um, but I would encourage you to go back and look at the opening two chapters of it, which is where the two references that he's going to draw from here come from. And I want you to see that God says some hard things to Israel. And he does it in a very 
difficult to understand way. He gets this prophet to go out and marry. Essentially, let's just go. Let's just go read it. When the Lord, this is verse two, when the Lord first spoke to Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, "Go and make yourself a wife of whoredom. Go and make yourself a wife of whoredom. What is that? Go marry a prostitute and have children with her." And he does. And from these children, God gives them particular names, which represent particular truths that are going to be played out through the history of Israel and particular truths that carry spiritual implications that Paul here extracts out as we're looking in chapter 9 of Romans. So in verse 25, as indeed he says in Hosea, and and the reason that I would ask you to go back and read in Hosea is, is Paul saying these things here because if we would go back and read, we would see that God's been saying these things all along. Right? He's been saying these truths all along. And when we see what God's doing, if we go and look at the book of Hosea, we see the things that he's saying and the references that Paul's making here. If you would read through Hosea, what you're going to see is that this makes way for the people of Israel to be bigger than the people of Israel ever could have been if God had not done what He did. Right? We see in the New Testament... Paul asking the question of who is Israel? Who are the children of Abraham? And what do we find the answer in Romans is? Those who have faith. Amen? Those who have faith like Abraham. Not those who follow and keep a checklist. Because Abraham did not have a checklist to keep. So in this, what we find is an expansion of the hope. Right. So what God is doing in the hardening of Israel, is making way for the gospel to go out to all people. God in His infinite wisdom has done it this way. Why? Because it is the best way. God does things the best way. I want us to understand that. He is wise, and when you are wise, you choose the right way. So let's understand that God is infinitely wise, and the ways in which He chooses, the ways in which He does things, are the best way. So, in quotation of Hosea here in verse 25 chapter 9, Those who are not my people, I will call my people. And her who is not, who was not beloved, I will call beloved. Verse 26, And in the very place where it was said to them, You are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. So Paul here in chapter 9 is not narrowing the scope of the gospel. He does not bring election and predestination and all these things on the table to make it very difficult. He brings these things in to show that God's been planning all along that the hope that He was going to do in Christ, the hope of the gospel was not just for a small nation, but for all nations. People who were not His would be His. Every tribe, every nation, every tongue was the goal from the beginning. God in His infinite wisdom orchestrated the cross. Understand that Scripture is clear in telling us that the cross was no accident of history. It was orchestrated by the Creator of all things for His good purposes. 
the cross itself. When we deal with the most difficult things, the most difficult evils that we see in this world, let us be reminded that God orchestrated the salvation of men by the death of His Son on a cross. God orchestrated these things. God did these things for His purposes, His good purposes. Verse 27, and Isaiah, so I want us to see now, and we're going to kind of be seeing this through the next couple of scriptures, and we're actually fairly close to being uh, done tonight, but I just wanted to kind of do a, a little bit of scripture so that we can start thinking about how what God has done in His election, in His predestining of all these events, that what He is doing is not something that makes the gospel more narrow in the sense of less people, but He is in fact doing something through this that is opening the gospel up to all people. And we're going to see that because in, in the midst of all of this, we're going to see the, the need for preaching. Right? We're going to see the need for preaching uh, as we pre- press into this in, chapter, uh, in chapter, chapter 10. So I want us to understand that what we see Paul doing and the way that he's applying these ideas in chapter 9 is, is not making it to where people can't get saved. He's opening the gospel up to the only hope of salvation, which is, in fact, Christ Jesus our Lord. So verse 27, and Isaiah cries out, and he's, he's telling them again and again, because as we dig into some of these things, we understand that the primary focus that Paul is dealing with in chapter 9 is the falling away of Israel. Though we know that these things, that you don't have nations falling away without individual people falling away, which is why he goes all the way down in deep and starts dealing with Pharaoh there, that you can't talk on the big scope of nations without dealing with the people who live in those nations, right? So he digs down into this, but he's coming back out. He's bringing this truth back out so that we so that we don't stay focused there down in the depths of, of Pharaoh, but we start widening our views, understanding that God's righteous, God's holy, God's good. What God's doing here is not making it harder. He's opening up for the only hope. That hope is the gospel that we will preach to the nations. How do I, I can say confidently that we will preach it to the nations. Why? Because we can look at Scripture. You could look in Revelation and it says every tribe, every nation, every tongue. Every tribe, every nation, every tongue will be represented around the Lamb that was slain. And it won't fail. It can't fail. Because God can't fail. So I can say confidently that we will preach to every nation. That every nation, the gospel will reach. And, and, and I can look out here and I can see all of you and, and I can say many of you may think that you would never go and I would say, ask Mickey. Ask Mickey. You will go because God's called you to go. And if you don't go, you'll sin. And if you don't do either of those, You're in sin. Because that's what we've been called to as a church. We go, we sin, or we find ourselves in sin. Isaiah, or excuse me, chapter 9, verse 27. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. What do you think that means? So this is an Old Testament reference from Isaiah... 
talking about the people of Israel. And what does it say? So what do we think will happen? If, if, if we're back reading this in Isaiah, and we see this prophecy laid out, God prophesying this truth, what do we think will happen? Do we think the Messiah will come and they will usher him in with open arms? From the Old Testament, you would conclude to the contrary. God's Word says that only a remnant. Paul's bringing these things out so that we see that what's going on here now should not catch us off guard. It should not catch us off guard. Isaiah prophesied that only a remnant would remain. Verse 27, And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out His sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. Will He be unfair in that? Will He be unjust in carrying out His sentence as judge? Is He an unjust judge? Will there be any of those who were not saved, who will stand before Him and hold Him to account. No, the contrary is true. They will be found guilty before the judge in their sin. Verse 29, And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left for us an offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. I want to I want to read that to you again. If the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. What does that scripture say to us? What should we draw from that scripture? If God had not shown mercy, we would be destroyed. If God had not shown mercy, we would still be enemies. If God had not shown mercy, we would still be dead in our trespasses. If God. And He did. Out of the depths of His mercy. Out of the depths of the riches of His kindness. He's given His mercy. To those who would believe. Christ died. And the gospel tells us. That if we believe. That his sacrifice is sufficient for us. We'll be saved. God has. Shown mercy. To us. When we did not deserve his mercy. God has shown mercy to you. And that He sent preachers to you. God has shown mercy to me. That while I was in sin, God orchestrated so that I would hear the hope of the gospel. And as I read text like this, and I look out at you, I wonder who of you will preach the gospel to someone who hasn't heard it. Before. And you don't even have to get on a plane to do it. 
but you may. Do you hear me? You don't have to get on a plane to do it, but you may. And those two truths are not mutually exclusive. When you go to work tomorrow, you'd better be sharing the gospel. When you go to school tomorrow, you would better be sharing the gospel because the only hope for salvation is the gospel. Smiles do not save people. Hugs do not save people. You telling people that you love them does not save them. You giving them food and clothing does not save them. All of those things are good. All of those things make ready the ground for the seeds of the gospel. But if we fail to plant those seeds, what hope do they have? None. None. If the Lord of hosts had not left us an offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Church, I want you to understand this, that if you are a believer, you are the offspring. Go. Go and share this news. Do you hear me? Do you understand that without Christ, death, because they're dead in their sins already, do you understand that the only hope for the lost is the truth of the gospel? Do you understand that God has through His infinite wisdom, placed you where you are. Because you matter and they matter. Do you understand that He has a purpose for you? Do you understand that Christ is the only hope they have? Do you understand that if you do not say anything, they will not just be saved by your actions? The gospel, the truth of who Christ is, is the only hope. Let us close in prayer. Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for my church family. Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit would continue moving, continue working in our hearts. Um, Lord, I thank you that you are good. I thank you that you are holy. I thank you that you are righteous. I thank you that even though we did not deserve your mercy, that you gave your mercy. That you are merciful. And you chose to show that on a cross. Let us also understand that we see mercy at the cross and we see wrath at the cross. We see justice at the cross. At the cross we find that not only do we serve a good God, but we find that the goodness of God 
should be one of the things that scares us the most because we are not good. But your goodness pours forth in your kindness and your kindness pours forth in your grace and mercy. And you sent your Son to a cross to show that you are both just, that sin does not go unpunished, that it does not simply get overlooked, and that you are equally the justifier because it was not man's good works that made them right but it was God stepping down into his creation and giving the perfect sacrifice to redeem a people for himself Lord that you would get glory from us that you would continue your work in us Lord that you would call us And you would send us. That you would make us those who send others. Lord, that the purposes for which you have set forth, that we could be blessed to be a part of that. Lord, as we go out this week, let us be missionaries in our workplaces. Let us be missionaries in our homes. Lord, and if you would call up missionaries to go where the gospel